0: Caution! The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa...
1: And I'm Allison.
0: Now we've teased it for a while, but today is the day. We're going to go back and visit the man, the myth, the odd legend, Eric (laughs) Satie. We'll be taking a look at one of his most popular pieces, Gymnopédie number 1. Now this piece has also achieved quite a bit of renown beyond the classical music world as well, making it one of the more popular pieces in the entire classical canon. Feel free to go back and listen to our previous episode on Sati, episode 75, but we will be rehashing his biography here.
1: Satie was born in Normandy in 1866. He had a bit of a topsy-turvy upbringing, first being shipped off to his grandmother's house and then being shipped back to his father and then stepmother when his grandmother passed away. Lucky for Satie, he didn't have a traditional evil stepmother. Rather, she was a pianist who first exposed him to music. Through this experience, he took a strong liking to the creative outlet of music, and soon was enrolled in the Paris Conservatory, however, it was not all he thought it would be.
0: Apparently, he was a very, very lazy student, and was at the bottom of his class. He ended up leaving the conservatory prior to completing his degree. But perhaps that's for the best, as he then was freed from the rigid structure of the conservatory life and the rules of music. And this was good for Satie. He seemed it seemed like he was born to be a bohemian, and soon he took up residence in a trendy area of Paris near the Cabaret Le Chat Noir.
1: Famously, Satie was the pianist at this cabaret before he ended up having a creative falling out with its proprietor. But that was no matter to Satie, he was able to work in several other cabarets as well throughout Paris for the rest of his life. He also took to writing about music and philosophy to an extent as well. Satie's worldview was definitely worth writing about. He first explored the world of religion through the Roscrucian movement, but apparently this didn't meet all of his expectations.
0: So then, what's a man to do when established religion doesn't fit your needs? Why? Form <laughs> his own church, of course. Of the, course. M- the Metropolitan Church of Art of Jesus the Conductor. <laughs> this was essentially a one-man church, but it allowed Sati to write music critiques in a somewhat protected way. And there are many other interesting things about Sati that we mentioned in our previous episode, but here are some new fun facts that we want to highlight this time. For example, Sati ate only white food, such as eggs, sugar, ground bone, animal fat, <laughs> veal, salt, coconuts, chicken. <laughs> boiled in white water
1: whatever that unsure is I'm sure what oh. that is
0: <laughs> fruit mold also a little unsure <laughs> of what that is rice turnips bleached pudding dough white cheese cotton salad I'm just going to uh, stick on cotton salad for a moment yeah. to reiterate that And am sure what kinds that is either <laughs> of fish
1: <laughs> It doesn't sound I, I okay I we, perhaps it could be a well-rounded diet I think we have Carbs, proteins, and what else is there? That's all you need. <laughs> Sugars, I guess. Vitamins. There's uh-huh. some stuff in there. You got coconuts.
0: Sugars. Coconut is oil
1: is supposed to be like the ultimate superfood.
0: Uh huh. So is ground bone in fruit mold on <laughs> a cotton
1: salad. <laughs> you got all the textures there.
0: All the textures.
1: Um, And then in terms of fashion, he was a bit like a bohemian Steve Jobs. He found a professional uniform and he stuck with it. Now, in Satie's case, rather than a black turtleneck, he instead selected a gray velvet suit that he bought several identical versions of and thus dubbed himself the Velvet Gentleman. And in this famous gray suit, he walked up to 10 miles each day from his home to whatever cabaret he was currently working in. Each day he carried an umbrella with him. However, he never opened it, even in the rain. His reasoning? Well, he didn't want it to get wet.
0: I can't decide if being Satie's friend or acquaintance would have been if I would have found him wonderful or insufferable.
1: I was thinking actually kind of the same things while I was writing the script. I feel like he would be a bit insufferable.
0: I feel like he might be the he's 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 like the friend that everybody he's someone to talk about and (laughs) not talk to. Right. (laughs) Right. Being his friend and in his circle would be an interesting experience.
1: But he definitely did have friends. And you know, I think again, we said he was probably born to be a bohemian. I think a lot of these Parisian artsy types, and we're saying Bohemian in kind of like the modern sense of the world. This was not Bohemian Germany, which right. is a completely different thing happening at this exact same time. We are talking More the, bohemian about Bohemian Paris... as in the
0: like Moulin Rouge. Exactly. Style That's bohemian. exactly
1: what we're talking about. So anyway, right. I think a lot of those kinds of people, like they wanted this, like Tortured poet sort of look about them, and you know, doing all the unexpected. So honestly, they were probably all insufferable and just trying to one up each other. (laughs) It would have been insufferable (laughs) for anyone who didn't care about that.
0: And clearly, he was. Clearly, his way of thinking was definitely suited for this art scene, and of course, he contributed to that scene with his compositions, often with pieces that challenged the norms of the time or provided a humorous escape. And while our piece today, the Gymnopédie Number 1, may not sound very humorous, there is definitely some irony and a lot of thinking to be done in regards to it. So let's talk about that, shall we? Yes.
1: The piece itself was written in 1888. And Satie's good friend, proof that he did have friends here, was Claude <laughs> Debussy. And he actually arranged this, as well as the third Gymnopédie for Orchestra, which helped both of them to gain some additional traction within the classical world.
0: So the title of the piece is the first thing that gives it a humorous edge. The word likely comes from Gymnopédia, referring to the ancient Greek Spring War celebration, the highlight of which... If this was a festival, the highlight of this festival was leagues of athletic young men displaying their war prowess through dance. And so you might immediately think that this association would result in a piece that is, um, I don't know, maybe dance-like or warlike like or loud. And it's not intense <laughs> at all. As you can hear right from the start, Satis gymnopedies are very languid, unhurried. Overall simple. The first in particular has a stylistic marking of lent e doilaw. I'm going to I butchered that, I'm sorry, but it <laughs> translates <De> la <laughs> it translates to slow and painful, just like my pronunciation.
1: <laughs> and Sati was very likely going for this duality between the title of the work and its sound to offset our expectations. It's also that simplicity though that is the hallmark of a lot of Satie's piano music. He was definitely working at the same time as the German romantic Wagner, again the you know true Bohemian in Bohemia, and Satie really had a lot of qualms with Wagner's approach to music. In modern terms, Satie felt that Wagner's music was maximalism to the extreme and his own music was minimalism, just the essence of what was needed.
0: So then, what does Satie's strong opinions mean for the piece? Let's talk. The piece starts (laughs) off by setting up the motif in the bass line. The time signature is 3-4, and to highlight that three-beat pattern, Satie has a single low note on the downbeat, followed by a chord an octave above on the second beat. There are only two chords, a G major 7 and a D major 7, a nice fifth apart from each other.
1: due to that seventh being added into both of those chords it gives them the feeling of both being five chords or five seven chords specifically that will then want to resolve elsewhere but they never quite get there so that was actually pretty genius on Satie's part because even though this piece is very slow and simple that lack of a full resolution does keep the listener engaged
0: Satie was clickbaiting us in 1888 (laughs)
1: After four measures of just these two chords going back and forth, the melody finally comes in. It also is very simple, just one note at a time without any chords at all, and it's just quarter notes. Interestingly, it starts on beat two of the measure. So while we could view this as a two-beat pickup to the following measure, it doesn't really have that same forward drive that pickups usually do bring to the table. Rather, it gives a feeling that the melody and the bass line might just be offset and disconnected from each other by a single beat.
0: Another interesting aspect of the melody is that it is five measures long, if we include the pickup measure in that count. The fourth measure is a deceptive ending though, as there's a dotted half note that could sound like a cadence. But in the following measure, it kind of resolves down from an A to an F sharp, which is a common note between the G and D chords. And those G and D chords continue marching on. They actually continue for the first 17 measures of the piece.
1: Satie starts to repeat the slow quarter note melody once again. But this time, instead of the A dotted quarter resolving down, it actually moves upwards to a C sharp, then F sharp, and then finally down to an E. Thus extending the melody by an additional two measures this time and our chords do finally get to change a little bit here. Now in the bass we get F sharp minor, B minor, E minor, E minor 7, and D minor.
0: Now as you can tell, this isn't really a traditional chord progression around the circle of fifths, but it's not random as each chord does share at least one note with the chord that came before it, so it does sound cohesive, even though it breaks the rules. Also, even though this piece has the key signature of D major, two sharps, it's not really in a major key, it's more so modal. And modal skills are a bit much for the conversation today. Perhaps we'll do an episode on them in the future. Do comment <laughs> if this sounds interesting to you.
1: Yes, please. So, as our piece goes on, T holds tight to that melodic motif. It only ever consists of a single quarter note played at a time, with just a few longer notes thrown in at the ends. But there is a bit of a development or B section, but it's not the traditional key modulations that we normally see in developments, but rather more of an exploration of the rhythmic possibilities. So here, Satie starts the melody with longer notes, and the quarter notes actually extend out the phrase at the end instead. Kind of an inverse of the original motif. Also at the end of this phrase, we do get the closest thing we've had to a true cadence the whole time, a full D major chord without the seventh. And that is actually what signals the end of this little development B section.
0: We then jump back to the A section with G and D major seven chords again, and an exact repeat of the beginning of the piece. Another notable aspect of Satie's writing is his use of dynamics. Again, he's trying to defy expectations here. In this repeat A section, but also at the start of the piece, the melody is written pianissimo, but the long four-measure held note and chords at the end of the phrase are written forte, It's a bit jarring, as usually the melody would be the thing that is highlighted by this dynamic change. And so T then repeats the B section again, so our overall form is ABAB, but he does change up the last phrase. We now get a lot of C naturals and F naturals, essentially modulating from the too-sharp key signature we were in before.
1: forget about the modal aspect of that key for just a bit and go back to thinking in terms of our normal major and minor harmony. This would be a stepwise modulation downward from D major to C major. And this can be a bit ear-catching because really none of the emphasized chord tones are then related, unlike the other slowly changing chords that we'd heard thus far. Within the new key, however, sati does still maintain the motifs, so once our ear can adjust to that modulation, it still flows nicely.
0: Satie also manages to wrap the melodic notes back around to a similar pattern that we had at the end of the first B section, but instead of ending on D major which has an F sharp, this time we end on D minor due to the newly established F natural. And perhaps this more sad sounding ending is the representation of the doloru, or painful marking Satie suggested at the beginning of the piece.
1: However, I would argue that listening to this piece isn't painful. It's quite relaxing. It's just very nice background music. And in fact, for a lot of Satie's music that is kind of slow and simple like this, he actually coined a term called furniture music, meaning that it was just (laughs) something to like decorate the space like your furniture does.
0: Didn't Satie have a collection of like all white furniture?
1: I don't recall that. However, it would go with his all-white food. He did, yeah. if you go back and listen to our previous episode, our fun fact in there is he had pianos that were stacked on top of each other.
0: That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but I mean, you're absolutely right. It is the it's like the the genesis of purposeful ambient
1: music. Mm-hmm. They do in a lot of articles that I was reading about Satie. They do kind of trace this type of music to like more modern. Not quite like smooth jazz, but you know, like what yeah. you'll hear in a fancy restaurant. You're not meant to listen to it closely. Mm-hmm. It's just meant to create the vibe.
0: Yeah, create or accentuate just just to be something in the background. It's you know like like the music that you listen to while you're driving. It's it's there. It's <laughs> ambient. You're having a conversation with the person you're driving with, and the music is there too. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah just keeps it upbeat, keeps it fun. And of course, we were playing this kind of music in the cabarets, which, you know, they're kind of like meeting places, food and things were served. That's exactly what this was doing back then too, serving the same purpose.
0: So thank you for listening to this exploration of Sati. If you enjoyed what you heard, uh, do consider leaving us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And share this episode with a friend who you think might also appreciate the weird, eccentric genius of Eric Satie.
1: Or, you know, this might be the perfect opportunity to share it with someone on the street. Because right. if you're sharing something weird like Satie, mm-hmm. and you're new, you're being weird coming up to someone on the street, I think it would right, all just fit together. In your velvet suit
0: and your closed umbrella.
1: You're becoming the eccentric bohemian that's insufferable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I'm Asa.
1: And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Gymnopede Number 1 was performed by Louis Collodon. You can find The Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook at The Coffee House Classical Podcast and Instagram at Podcast Coffee House. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.